0: It's my privilege to uh, be here this morning to share. We're going to continue in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you want to turn, we're uh, beginning chapter 6. We're actually going to be at verse 3 here this morning. You know, there's uh, certain times in our lives when we are needing or we're wanting to put our best foot forward. We're wanting to remove any doubt that uh, we should be accepted, that, that we're good enough, that, that people should like us. Um, you, know, you might want to think back to you know your first date, um, the lengths you went to, right, to prepare for your first date. Um, think about all the things you did to try to get all the hurdles out of the way. You're trying to leave, leave no stone unturned, that you don't want there to be any obstacles to this other person liking you, and you go to all these great lengths. Another place we We do that often is in job interviews. Same thing. You're going there and you're trying to present yourself in a way that removes any idea that that you're not the person for the job. There are some famous people uh, over the years who have um, taken their resume and maybe uh, extended it a little bit further than it probably should have been. Uh, For example, uh, Scott Thompson, who was CEO of Yahoo, said he had a computer science degree that he actually didn't have. And then lost that job so he was removing the obstacles removing the hurdles but in the end it became a hurdle uh, you have uh, richard or uh, robert irvine i don't know if you know him from food channel but he uh, at one point claimed that he had made a uh, birthday cake for uh, princess diana um, of course he hadn't but he'd gotten a job because of that and then he subsequently lost that job once they discovered he had lied on his resume uh maybe in the sports world a more famous one is george o'leary who got the notre dame coaching job for i was about a week <laughs> five days something like that uh he had said on his resume that he had an MBA, as well as he'd said he would played football at uh i think new ha- university of new hampshire and uh, neither of those were true <laughs> so once that was revealed he uh was let go from from that coaching job so this idea of Putting our best foot forward, wanting to clear the way, wanting to have no obstacles, um, wanting to, to try and make people think certain things of us or look at us in a certain way. Uh, oftentimes, I think when we work at that in certain ways, we end up actually being a stumbling block. We end up actually being someone who's putting up obstacles. Well, if you look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter six and uh, beginning in verse three. It's really uh, what Paul is going to be looking at here this morning. And what I want to really talk about today is this idea of, of removing obstacles. Um, Paul is commending himself, uh, talking about his ministry and his role uh, with the Corinthians here. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. This is Paul talking, you know, we put no stumbling block in the way so that our ministry will not be discredited. Well, this word ministry, if you want to look back to chapter 5, this word ministry really takes us back a few verses in chapter 5, verse 18, where he talks about what is his ministry. And in verse 18 he says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what Paul is saying is that the ministry that he doesn't want to be discredited is this ministry of reconciliation. In the immediate context of his day, remember there were people in Corinth who were trying to discredit him and people who were trying to say that he was a fake, that he was an imposter, he was a liar, he he was not the person maybe he said he was. But I want us to look at this idea of the ministry of reconciliation that we're also called to be involved in this ministry. And I want us today to think about um, our Ministry of Reconciliation, and what can we do today to keep our Ministry of Reconciliation from being discredited in our own community in our own families maybe in our own in our own personal spheres of influence and um, that 's what we 're going to look at today and, and we 're going to see I think from Paul some ideas on how we can go about doing that, how we can go about removing obstacles or removing hurdles in, in, in some good ways. And so the question, I have really a question that I want you to think about today, and it's going to be kind of the, the point of the message is, what does the world, meaning those who have not been reconciled to Christ, need from us? What is it that the world, meaning those who have not been reconciled to Christ, need from us? What does the world need from us in order to become reconciled? So if our ministry of reconciliation is going to move forward, I think we have to answer this question. What is it that the world needs? And we see Paul talking about his ministry. He says it can't be discredited, and he commends his ministry and I think gives us some good ideas as to how we too can join him in this ministry of reconciliation without discrediting ourselves. So, in other words, if we don't do the things that I think Paul is doing in his ministry, um, then chances are we are putting obstacles in the way. Chances are we we are doing things that maybe we shouldn't be doing and are creating hurdles for people in our world. So we're going to look at that at, at that today. Um, again, before we jump in, I do want you to understand the context of Paul here is is Corinth, and he's wanting the people there to understand that that he loves them, that he cares for them. He's trying to get his point across. And as we've talked about in past weeks, there are people who are challenging that in that context as well. But, but here's the, the question again. What does the world need from us? What does the world need from us? Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, Paul here is laying out a list of why his ministry of reconciliation should not be discredited, and he begins with this first comment here of what I would call compassionate endurance. Compassionate endurance. The Greek word endurance here is this word hupomone, and it's this is really powerful word, um, it's, it's got this, this idea of endurance, but it's really more than just kind of making it through. It's, it's a bigger word than that. And, and Chrysostom, who, who um, has this quote, and I want to read this quote, that he defines hupomone this way. He says, it is the root of all goods, the mother of piety, the fruit that never withers, a fortress that is never taken, a harbor that knows no storms, and the queen of virtues, the foundation of right actions, peace and war, calm and tempest, security and plots. It is the courageous and triumphant ability to pass the breaking point and not break and always greet the unseen with a cheer. And Paul here is describes for us his endurance, his endurance for people. And first of all, he gives a general description. He says troubles, hardships, distresses. Then he gets more specific and he talks Beatings, imprisonments, and riots. And then he moves on to what I would call voluntary endurance, where he says, "Hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger." Again, compassionate endurance—it never gives up. It never gives up, no matter the cost. And if you want to see his endurance in action, you can flip back to Acts sixteen. Um, well, Acts fourteen nineteen first there. There's this a passage says then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, if that happened to me, Acts 16 would not have happened. <laughs> Here in uh in Acts 16:22 and 23, He said, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Um, We can read on through the book of Acts and you can see this happening to Paul over and over again that he continued to endure. He continued to endure. He believed the world needed this from him. He believed that people really mattered, that their eternal destiny mattered. He cared. He was compassionately enduring. He was wanting to see the ministry of reconciliation. He's wanting to see people be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He cared. So here's the deal here's what I want you to do here this morning. I know I've been talking for a little while and you've been taking copious notes and you know staying on track of everything. But now I'm gonna make you take a note down, okay? So I want you to turn your program over. There should be some, I think, a blank spot somewhere on there, or or maybe you just need to write on your hand, you know, I don't know. Or maybe you can put it on the iPad, whatever's, you know, comfortable. I want you to write down the name, someone that you know, the name of one person in your life that is in your sphere of influence, could be a neighbor, could be someone you work with, could be a family member. I want you to write down the name of someone right now in your life that you would say, I don't believe this person has been reconciled to Christ. I don't believe this person has come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through the cross. So I want you to write that person down. And then I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you compassionately endured for this person? Have you compassionately endured for this person? Paul, in Acts 20, verse 19, he says this. He said, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And I wonder, have you wept over this person and cried out to God and said, I want to see them? Come to know you. Have you gone the extra mile for this person to show them the love of Christ? Have you been willing to endure? Have you been willing to be a model of endurance, a model of compassion for this person? Let's go ahead and look at verses 6 and 7. Paul goes on here and he says this. He says, in purity, understanding, patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Paul here in these verses, I believe, is giving us kind of a second obstacle that that we need to overcome, or we need to make sure it's not in the way in our lives, And, and this is godly character. Paul is commending himself to the Corinthians saying, look at my character, look at my life, look at who I am. Paul lists out his character traits, purity, understanding, patience, kindness, love, truthful speech. Paul knew that people could look at his life and say, okay, there's something going on here for this guy. There's something different. There's something changed. There's something real about him. It's interesting, too, that Paul here recognizes that his character comes from two places, from the Holy Spirit. Remember, it was Paul who wrote in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He knows his godly character comes as he relies on the power of the Spirit. And secondly, he also says, that his character is dependent on the power of God in his life, which he depicts as weapons of righteousness in his right and his left hand. You know, Paul was a guy who had a lot of reasons to be embittered, to be frustrated, to be angry, to be resentful of all his afflictions, his hardships, his calamities. He had a reason to be tired from all of his labor, his sleepless nights. But by God's grace, Paul has shown patience, kindness, love. His spirit has not been broken by the pain of his ministry. In the Holy Spirit, he has found these resources to give him hope, to give him the ability not to grumble, to be patient in God's timing rather than pity himself, to be kind, rather than to take it out on others. So what about you? We have to ask ourselves the question, do we display godly character in our day-to-day lives? Do we live morally pure? Do we live upright as we rely on the Spirit and the power of God? To be clear, we don't possess this ability within ourselves. No, we must rely on God's power in our lives. You know, a great place to lose your character is at a Little League game. (laughs) I don't know if you've been to a Little League game in a while. I often, um, you know, I go to these Little League games with great character and thinking I'm going to, today, okay, today it's going to work. I'm not going to get upset with anybody. I'm not going to get frustrated. I understand. There's some things that are going to happen here that I'm not going to like. Coaches are going to do some things that I don't like, and um, it's fascinating if you go to a little League Game to just kind of maybe sit back and observe parents, observe coaches, um, observe how the kids are responding to all these things. It's a, it could be a tough place sometimes to, to display godly character. I don't know where that place is for you. Where do you go? in your life, where it's tough for you to display godly character? Where do you need to be relying on the power of the Spirit, on the power of God in your life, so that your life becomes a witness, so that who you are in your character is not creating obstacles in your ministry of reconciliation? Lead with your life so that people can say about you, you're a person of purity, Understanding, patience, kindness, love, truthful speech. I think oftentimes when we think about reaching out, when we think about this ministry of reconciliation, sometimes we're more worried about the talk. And we're worried about what exactly I'm supposed to say. How am I supposed to, you know, close the deal, as they say? I don't know what to say to people. I don't know what. I'm going to do. I don't understand how to have the talk. But I think we need to be willing to move past that and lead with our lives. Lead with who you are. Get involved in conversation with people. Converse before you try to convert. You'd be amazed at how conversation can lead down these paths where you get opportunity to display your character. You get an opportunity to display your kindness, your gentleness, and people begin to be drawn to who you are. They begin to see the difference that Christ has made and that you can begin to say, like Paul, that the power of God is being displayed in your life. You have that confidence that God is at work. Well, as we look at verses 8 through 10, Paul here lists, Nine contrasts of the Christian life, and then he passionately shares his heart in a genuine open way. I want to look at, at these contrasts here um, verses eight through ten. He says, Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten. And yet not killed sorrowful yet always rejoicing poor yet making many rich having nothing and yet possessing everything we have spoken freely to you Corinthians and opened wide our hearts to you we are not withholding our affection from you but you are withholding your affection from us Paul describes I believe what I'm calling open-hearted living in these nine contrasts, these nine antitheses. In the same way, if we want to remove obstacles in our ministry of reconciliation, we need to live our lives with open hearts, to open our lives up, to open our hearts up to people. If you look at these contrasts, we see the first four have to do with Paul's lack of popularity. He was being looked down upon by the people, yet you'll notice... The people were seeing things about him, yet Paul says, in God's view, things were quite the opposite. Dishonor, bad report, an imposter, someone who was regarded as, as unknown. This is all these negative things. And this is what people were probably saying about Paul in the Corinthian community, all these negative ideas about, oh, yeah, that guy, he's an imposter, he's a fake. You know He's not even really a real uh, citizen, and, and there's all sorts of things that were going around in his day. And yet Paul had a different perspective on it. His perspective was God's perspective, and he's able to see the contrast. Yes, people may see me this way, but God sees me this way. Remember, too, it's interesting that Jesus, he says this in Luke six twenty six said, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets which means that in Paul's mind, a mixed reception, some honoring, some praising, some dishonoring, some slandering, was probably part of his commendation here. Part of what he's promoting in himself is, look, if you're really a true prophet, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say. Again, the spread of Christ throughout the world was seen as this tiny movement, and yet because God was behind it, it couldn't be stopped and And Paul lived that way. He knew it. He was able to to look beyond what he kind of saw. And he was able to say, no, God's behind this. It is moving forward. God is making his glory known. So whether people like you or not, you can still choose to open up your heart. You know, you get burned once or twice, maybe more than that. (laughs) And it's easy to start shutting down. I don't think Paul here got cynical about people. He doesn't seem to withdraw from people. He continues because he recognizes that, yes, people say bad things about him. But he's more reliant on what God thinks of him. He's more reliant on what God is saying of him. And what that allows for him is open-hearted living. He can open up his heart to these people who are saying these negative things about him. He can keep moving forward. He can keep moving towards them. He doesn't withdraw. He opens up his heart continually. The next three contrasts that Paul describes here are the way people around... Um, uh, Paul looked at the people around him, yet the contrast of Paul is he knew the real story. It's dying, yet we live, beaten, yet not killed, sorrowful, yet rejoicing. You see us... Dying, but for Paul, remember, we are crucified with Christ. He knew that. In reality, on the surface of his life, it looked like he was dying, but he knew he was dying for Christ, for the purpose of Christ. Beaten, yet we're not killed. Yes, we must endure human punishments, but Paul recognized that God was behind it. He's not killed, he, it's not over. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. There are countless reasons that one is sorrowful, one's heart is broken at times, and yet for Paul, he recognized that he could still rejoice. Then the last two contrasts for Paul is kind of his financial position. People were saying, probably trying to say things about, is he doing this for money, and is he trying to build some sort of financial well-being? But he says... You know, poor yet making many rich, meaning he's poor and yet he shares the gospel. And in sharing the gospel, he makes people rich. Because knowing Christ is the richest thing you can have in your life. And then having nothing, he says, yet possessing everything. And and um, again, the riches of this world for Paul meant nothing to him. And he recognized that. Takes us really to uh, Philippians 3.8, 3, um, he counted everything as loss for the surpassing to, to know Christ. And, and, and he was willing to lose it all. He was willing to lose whatever it took so that he could keep moving forward in his ministry of reconciliation. I think what we see in these contrasts is something real about Paul. Paul allowed people to see his struggle of walking with Christ. It wasn't easy. Paul here wasn't promoting some sort of health and wellness gospel. He wasn't promoting uh, some idea that if you come to Christ, you know, life's going to get happy and satisfied and everything's going to work out. No, what he was promoting here was the real gospel, which says that Jesus is real in the midst of your struggles. So I want you to Step back here for a moment. Remember what Paul said in verse 3. He said, we put no obstacle, no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He's been removing obstacles to faith and commending the truth and the value of his ministry. What obstacle has he removed here? What obstacle is he removing by talking about these contrasts? Again, the clearest one here is money. Removing the obstacle, people might have thought he's in it for money, for earthly comfort. He's given evidence here that that's not what it's about. I think the other things that we see is he's clearing the obstacle that somehow if you are involved in the ministry of reconciliation, your life's going to just work out. Perfect or work out great, or it's all going to make sense, or it's all going to fit. He, he's showing the struggle, the reality that following Christ and being involved in the ministry of reconciliation is a costly ministry. Oftentimes, I think we can get caught up in trying to maybe entice people to Christ for the wrong reasons. We, we maybe kind of falsify the resume a little bit and we say things that maybe aren't totally true cuz we're like if people really knew this struggle boy I think that's going to turn them off to knowing Christ I, I'm a little afraid of that and so maybe we we adjust the resume a little bit and and um try to spin it in a way that that shows some sort of maybe victorious thing that we want to come out on the other side and and we kind of stretch the truth here and there and we're like oh well, people really if they really knew this struggle I'm having, there's no way. Paul didn't do that at all. He continued to be honest and um, stay (laughs) open-hearted. To me, that's what's amazing. I mean, I know we've been looking at 2 Corinthians and looking at this idea of how these people have treated Paul. And then at the end, when he says to them, you know, I'm opening wide my heart to you. I'm not withholding any affection. I mean, that's so full of passion and compassion that Paul has for, for these people. People who have been so ridiculously mean to him, really. Paul commended his life by afflictions, calamities, and sleepless nights. So here's the question I want you to think about is, this person you've written down, have you truly opened your heart to that person? Have Have you truly opened your heart to the person that you wrote their name down on your paper? Have you opened yourself up? Are you moving towards them open-heartedly? Or are you maybe feeling like they can't know your honest struggles? They can't maybe see the hard stuff that you're facing. Somehow you're afraid of that. We all, as humans, we face death, sickness, broken down cars, broken relationships, loss of jobs, financial struggle, kids that stray. I mean, we can go on and on and on and on. Everybody, we all face these things. The difference is that those who have been reconciled to Christ have Jesus. And having Jesus makes all the difference in the midst of these struggles. It's what gives you hope, it's what gives you direction, it's what gives you the ability to keep moving forward. Because you know Christ doesn't mean you're not going to have issues. doesn't mean you're not going to have these struggles. Sometimes I think in trying to put our best foot forward when we try to share our faith with people, we make the mistake of kind of sugarcoating stuff and saying things maybe aren't as hard as they are at times thinking that's removing the obstacle. And in fact, in the end, it's probably just putting a bigger obstacle in the way. See, the question for us who are involved in this ministry of reconciliation is, are we, like Paul, able to be sorrowful yet rejoice? Can we live our lives in that way with that tension in an honest way and invite people into conversations with us And talk in real ways about how on Monday morning, knowing Jesus Christ enables us to get out of bed, enables us to move forward. That there's a real power at work in our lives because we have been reconciled to God through Christ. We, um, I believe, are called to this ministry, if you... One of, I'm going to put Matthew 5. This is a, from the, around the Beatitudes. And Jesus, first of all, he says this. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then immediately after saying this, he goes on and says this next section here in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't think it was a mistake that Jesus first talked about the struggle of being someone who is following hard after Christ. And then as you follow hard after Christ, he said, you're going to become this salt, you're going to become this light. I want to challenge you to think about letting people in into your heart. Really let them in to your story as you get involved in this ministry of reconciliation. What's interesting about our stories is I like to think of our stories on three levels. We all have an outside story or the story that basically is we all have problems we all have stuff happening to us on the outside. Followers of Christ, people who are not following Christ, we all have a story about something happening. And amazingly enough, they're very similar whether you're following Christ or not following Christ. Christians, those who are following Christ, lose their job. Those who have not crossed the line of faith lose their jobs. Same story. Secondly, we all have an inside story where we wrestle to solve these problems, which includes doubts, anger, fear, apprehension, dread. Amazingly enough, we share that as well with those who have not yet been reconciled. They too have those same feelings. We who have been reconciled still wrestle with those feelings. We can connect on that level. I think too often we're afraid maybe to connect on that level because we're maybe saying, well, wait a second here. I've got to have an answer. I've got to have a better story here. And that's maybe where we start fudging on our resume a little bit, pretending we don't have those doubts or fears or struggles. But the third part of all of our stories is what I call the ultimate Part of the story, which is God in our lives. Ultimately, we as believers in Christ find a connection with Jesus Christ in the midst of our wrestling, and they need to see that. They need to see that. They need to see practically what that looks like so that they can be drawn to Jesus Christ as well. I fear that too often we never allow those who don't know Christ to see how we can be sorrowful yet rejoicing. How we can be beaten down and yet not killed. How we can struggle and yet continue to move forward. So the question I want you to leave here with today is this question... What does the world need from you? What does the world need from you? I also want to make this challenge to our cell groups as well. That being that I think too often when we're inviting our neighbors or those who have not yet been reconciled to Christ to come and be a part of our cell groups, I think too often... We do the George O'Leary, and we put together a resume for that night. That's fake. Because we say, well, we don't want to let them hear our real struggles as believers in Christ. They wouldn't get it. They couldn't understand it, and we might chase them away. I think, I know it's done oftentimes with a good idea, a good effort good desire on our part but in reality as we're thinking "Ah, i'm removing the obstacle we're actually just putting it right there right back in the way so i want to challenge you in your cell groups that as you're inviting people who have not yet been reconciled to christ to let them come and really see really see your life invite them in with open hearts and let them experience how jesus christ makes a real difference in your day-to-day living, complete and full of of the struggle and the doubts and and the groaning, as Romans 8 says, as we groan and we're waiting for that day when Christ will finally return. We need to let people come in, get close to our hearts. I want you to think about what does the world need from you. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, Paul is... um, an amazing example for us of a guy who was so passionately and compassionately engaged in this ministry of reconciliation and i know as i read his story and i read what he did and how he was involved i know that for me it's uh, i see myself that really pales in comparison and yet I also believe, Lord, that, that through your power and through the power of Christ, that if I will continue to submit myself to the Holy Spirit in his direction, you will use me. You will use me in this ministry of reconciliation. And so, Lord, it's my prayer that we would take seriously and ask ourselves the question, what does the world need from us? That we'd wrestle with that and that we take that question to heart and that we would ask you for for more answers and that we would try to understand how we can truly be like Paul and remove all the obstacles, all the things that have maybe been put up in the way so that people can come to know you in a personal way. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives and in our hearts. We just pray this in your name. Amen.